If you have your Bible with you today, we're looking at Matthew chapter 27, just a couple of verses, and we're going to talk about these verses from the standpoint of trying to understand what these two verses say to us as the words from the cross become more real into our lives, trying to clearly understand what they say to us and how we respond to them, right? So we're going to deal with some of the questions that we find in these verses. Just two verses today that help us to think in terms of what it means for the Father to love us and what it means for Christ to take on the sin of our life. And that really is what we're talking about today. We're talking about the fact that Christ takes on your sin upon himself and the reality of what that means, the reality of how that really makes an impact into our lives. When our youngest son, we have four children, we have uh, booking boys, our oldest and our youngest, and then two girls in the middle. Uh, When our youngest son was about four years old, he had to have surgery on his hand. It wasn't a a complicated deal. Uh, He just had some nerve endings and some muscles that weren't letting him straighten his fingers out. So the surgeon was going to go in and just just clip those. You know, it's not not that kind of surgery. Many of you are going through much worse and uh, much harder kind of things. But for us, even though he was the youngest, it's like the first thing that had really occurred where we had to send one of our kids back into surgery. I remember that pretty distinctly um, because when he was ro- you know, rolled out, we went to the surgery center and, and the surgeon was a, a friend of ours, so we knew that and he knew him and all that. And that was all good, but it still made an impact, right? When this little guy laying in this bed, this huge bed, and you know, you're holding his hand and then they roll back to the door and then you have to leave them. Right, you have to just kind of leave them right there, and he's like looking at you, like, "Dad, why, why are you just letting them take me off to who knows where?" Right, as a four-year-old with those big eyes looking at us, saying, "What is going on?" And, and you get that sense that you've just abandoned your son, right? To who knows where and what's going to happen. You don't know the end result. You expect everything to be great, and and it was, of course. But there's just that moment where he's gone, that moment where you feel like, I just, I'm just abandoning him, you know, I'm, I'm his dad, I'm, I'm supposed to take care of him kind of thing, but I'm, I'm not doing that. And, and that feeling of what that was like, I still remember that. Now, like I said, some of you have gone through far different kind of things than that, but that relates to me as I think a, a little bit of this passage that we're going to look at today. Because it's really, as we understand it, it's a, a passage of abandonment, It's a passage of the God the Father abandoning his son, actually forsaking him, giving that, and that's the term that we use, that he abandoned him. That's the term that the writer uses. Now, that is is a really complicated kind of thing for me. I don't don't really get all that. Uh, It's one of those mysteries that I'm confident that God the Father will answer when I get to heaven, or maybe I don't even care. You know, it'll be such a glorious time, I won't even care about some of that. I think that's a lot of the questions that sometimes I have, that when I actually get into glory, who cares about these kind of things? But at the same time, it's like, how does that really work? You know, how does, how does God abandon himself? 
How does God abandon Jesus, the incarnation of God himself? And it's kind of the hard questions that come out of this, but it's not the question I'm going to try to answer today because I, I don't know how to answer that, honestly. That's one of those more difficult ones. What I'm hoping to answer today from this passage is an understanding of why he did abandon Christ and the impact that would have for you and me because it has great impact into our lives, great impact into who we are. There's also a part of this passage that has to do with loneliness, that fact that Jesus was abandoned on the cross. He will speak to that in a moment when we look at this passage. And there are times where loneliness overtakes all of us, right? Loneliness, according to the dictionary, has to do with that idea of being connected or disconnected. If you are not connected to your community or connected to people or connected to family or connected to your spouse, there's a, there's, there's a loneliness that sets in. That's what the word means is that disconnection. And unfortunately, in our culture today, we have a lot of loneliness. We have seen that by the escalating numbers and the suicide rate in recent years and recent months, actually. And I, I would just appeal to you, if that's something that you would ever struggle with, please reach out to someone about that. But we're, we're just seeing so many who give up because they feel like they are abandoned. They feel like they are just forsaken. And, and we know that's not the case. We know there are people who love us and care for us. But yet, in this passage, there is that part of loneliness that comes out, right? There's part of Jesus on the cross, abandoned by the Father. And there's got to be inside him, uh, and he even says, why have you forsaken me? And we'll get to that in a moment. And, and that loneliness that comes out in this passage, that separation from God oftentimes makes an impact into our life. So with those couple of ideas floating around, let's look at this passage. And I want us to walk through some of this, the question of darkness, the question of Jesus, and the questions for you. Uh, I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of information here. I've written out a lot of the verses. You may have to go back and look at some of those and spend some time just uh, understanding a little bit more of what I'm trying to communicate today because they do make an impact. But the truth of the whole underlying theme is that Christ was abandoned. He was forsaken by God the Father, and that was because of my sin and your sin. So if you have your Bible, in Matthew chapter 27, he tells us, the writer, from noon until three in the afternoon darkness came over the whole land. So for three hours from noon, 12 o'clock to three o'clock, it was completely dark. And then at three o'clock, it says about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Now there's also some conversation about Jesus on the cross and what kind of language he was portraying. Was he being quiet or how loud could he be? He was there with his hands pierced. He was uh, nailed to the cross. He was, uh, his, his body was dying of suffocation because of the lungs and how it relates to being on the pedestal that he was on, on the little piece of wood that typically was a cross piece. And they would nail the feet and the hands and, and being able to raise himself up brought a lot of suffocation actually into the bottom, into the body. And so that's what he was dealing with, right? Into the bottom part of his stomach and just losing air. But yet, so here, whether he talk to the 
thief on the cross in a voice that they could only hear, or whether he was able to say to his mother, as Pastor Ryan talked about last week, this is your son, and to John the apostle, this is your, this is your mother, so you can take care of him. But here in this verse, he, it says that Jesus cried out with a loud voice. So there is a volume here, after he has been silent for three hours, a volume that comes out from Jesus. And he says in an Aramaic word that Matthew gives to us, he gives us a, an Aramaic translation, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, he gives us the Aramaic word for reasons that we don't fully know, but it was important to Matthew to give us those exact words, not in a Koine Greek language or not in a, a Hebrew language, but in a different kind of a colloquialism. But he spoke those words in that colloquialism, and then he translates those for us, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's first of all talk about this first verse, verse 45. And let's talk about this, this, this question of darkness. This understanding that there is darkness on the land. Darkness has covered everything. Now, we would say there are some reasons behind that darkness. There are some things that happen to help, help us to understand why this darkness came and what it symbolizes for us. I have some scripture I'll be turning to and reading, and you can go back later on and pick that up as we move through this. The first thing that I want us to say, this darkness symbolizes the darkness of sin. In John, the third chapter, the 19th verse, he tells us, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So we began to recognize this darkness as an understanding that it symbolizes sin. Now, why is this going to become important, obviously, is that Jesus is on the cross and his purpose is to condemn sin, to become sin for us. So this darkness is going to symbolize that there is sin everywhere. That is the, that is the thing that we looked at. This darkness is sin. The second thing is that it represents the darkest day of our history. The darkest day of history of mankind was when the Son of God, who was the incarnate Son of God, died on the cross for us. Now that was a dark day. That was a, a hard day. So this darkness symbolized what that was about and what was happening there. The third thing, the darkness it symbolizes that of the human soul, that our soul is in darkness. And we see that. In Ephesians chapter 2, I'll read that passage of scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, where he helps us to understand that this darkness of our soul is so, so vital to us. It's so good for us to understand what he says, because in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in his mercy... Because of this great love he had for us, made us alive through Christ Jesus. Though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Now, 
in this darkness, it's building our understanding of our sinfulness, right? I hope you're hearing that. The darkness of sin, our trespasses, the human soul is lost. Our human soul cannot save itself. There are people all around who say that if we do good works, if we do good things, then we're able to overcome the sin in our life or all those things that happen to us. But the Bible would clearly teach the darkness that symbolizes in this moment symbolizes the fact of sin of the human soul that we have no way to overcome in and of ourselves. So we have tried, we have done all we can, but the truth is we get to this passage where Jesus screams out these words because it makes the impact. The fourth thing, the darkness represents the presence of the light removed. See, Jesus is the light of the world, right? And if he is the light of the world and he's not there, where is the light of the world? Where is the light coming from? It's coming from nowhere because there is no light in the world anymore. And so this this death on the cross takes away the light and the darkness is symbolizing what that is. And then the fifth thing, it symbolizes the anger of God toward sin. God is angry at sin. You, You need to know that, right? We need to know that we can't do what we want to do when we want to do it because the anger does make an impact. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, he says very clearly, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Right? Because it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. This passage in Galatians chapter 3 makes the connection for us that out of the darkness, out of the understanding of sin out of the understanding of God's anger towards sin, out of the understanding that God has no pleasure in sin, darkness then came upon the whole earth. Now in the next verse, we get to this verse where Jesus then makes this proclamation. He cries out in a loud voice, right? He cries out in a screaming voice and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's take a little time and just kind of talk about this passage, this word for a moment. The first thing he says is, my God, the the word that he uses, Eli, is that Hebraic word or that uh, Aramaic word of a Hebrew term that would be actually from the very first words of the Bible, right? God created. So here, Jesus speaks out, cries out to the God of creation. He speaks out to the God that the Hebrew people who were listening to this, they would recognize as Matthew did, and he writes to a, a Hebrew group, and that's kind of the writing of Matthew is written to those more in the, the Hebrew world. And so they would understand that God is the one he's crying out to, the, the one of all creation. But he does add this ending. He has this, this, this uh, the symbol in, in the Hebrew language that would really refer to him as a personal God. So all of a sudden, Jesus says the God of all creation is personal. He's my God, right? He is the one that's created everything, but he's mine. Now, now, see what's happened, though, over the last period of hours. We changed from that whole understanding when Jesus looked down at the people and he said, Father, forgive them wherever they know what they are doing, right? Now it's moved from the, the Father relationship to the God relationship. My God, my God. And so all of a sudden, we begin to recognize that there is a difference here, and Jesus begins to sense the isolation 
the abandonment as the word that it's used. We, we see in our text the, the idea of forsaken. The idea really is that you have abandoned me. You have given me over. We'll get to that in a moment. But here he is saying, God, who my father, now I'm, I'm crying out to you as the God of all creation, the God of all power, the God of all authority, the God of all strength, the God of everything that is out there. And it just reminds me that there are sometimes in our lives where we do the same thing, right? We cry out to God. God, you are powerful. You are strength. You are all-knowing. You are everything. And that's what the word Jesus is using here. He is, he is using this whole concept that God, you, you are bigger and you are the most. There is none other beside you and you are mine. Right? And we do the same thing. God, and we do this very next thing that Jesus does, which is ask a question that I've asked many times, and I'm sure you have too. He says, my God, my God, why? Now, that's an interesting question, right? Because we hear people all the time ask the question, why, God, God, why did you let this happen? Or God, what's going on here? Or God, why, why do I have cancer? Or God, why did my spouse leave? And we ask all those why questions. And, and we talk to people who get real spiritual. And I've been real spiritual too at times and try to give the answer to the why question. Well, God's in control. God's in charge. God's sovereign. God knows what he's doing. And that's true. All those are true. Those answers, they're like that. But the why question is it wrong to ask the why question? We have people say that all the time. Can I ask the why question? And my response is always, well, yes, you can. Because Jesus asked the why question. If Jesus asked the why question, I should feel it's okay for me to ask the why question. I should be able to say, God, why is this happening? What is the world is going on? Why do I feel like sometimes, Lord, you forsake me or, or you have given up on me or you, this has happened? Why do I do that? So in this passage, now, obviously, the end result is trusting God, right? The end result, even for us as believers, when we ask that question, God, why do you let this happen? Or God, why has this occurred? It, it really has two purposes. Purposes inside it always has two purposes. It always has the purpose of it's, it's for our good, though we may not understand that. We may not understand Paul's teaching when it says all these things work for the good for those that love him, that are called according to So it's always for our good, and it's always for his glory. Those two things always occur when we ask this, this question. When, when Jesus is asking this question, it's obviously for our good, Right? Because our salvation, our forgiveness of sin is going to come out of this. And it's for God's glory. God is going to get the glory because he is the one who is at work redeeming us back. Restoring us to a right relationship with himself. Not that we can do that on our own. So Jesus asked the why question. Or why? God, why? My God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? And that's this third word that he uses in this passage. This whole idea of he has abandoned him. He has let him go. He is in a real sense, as we see the darkness, he has turned his back on himself. That's hard for me to understand. I don't even understand how that works, what God does in that, but I just know from according to scripture that that's the understanding the text gives that he has turned his back. Why? Well, let's, let's look at that in this next question that we get to in our, in our listening guide today. 
Why did he do it? First of all, Jesus sensed that the Father had withdrawn his presence from him. No longer did he have the presence of the Father. Now, the truth is, he doesn't have the, these things because of our sin, right? I, ho- I hope we know that. I hope we understand that the whole understanding of Jesus on the cross, taking our sin, during this three hours of darkness, it's about our sin, It's about the fact that all the sin of the world was laid upon Christ, who was the perfect one. The one who had no sin became sin. He became our sin. He became the one who is taking sin upon himself so that we do not have to pay the penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death, Romans 3.23. The wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. Who is going to die? But Romans 3.23 says, but it's the gift of God of eternal life. Where does that come from? It comes from Christ dying on the cross. That's, that's the bottom understanding of our sin being forgiven by Christ because of what he has done. And here, Jesus sensed that the Father had with drawn his presence from him. Isaiah 59, 1 says, Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save, and his ear is not too deaf to hear, but your iniquities are separating you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not listen. Now, that is a hard passage. Now, we know that in Isaiah, these prophetic words of Isaiah from Isaiah 51 to 53 and on into these passages really had to do with the Messiah and the coming of Jesus. And here we get an understanding that Jesus sensed that the presence of God was not in his life and God had withdrawn his presence. And the question is, why had God withdrawn his presence? And the answer is found in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Your iniquities are separating you from your God. And your sin have hidden his face from you. He will not hear you. Now, he, he hid his face from Jesus because the iniquities of us had been laid on him. Second thing, Jesus, since the Father had withdrawn his deliverance from him. All through the time when Jesus had been here as the incarnated Son of God and he was traveling around, John 12 is just one of those verses, but there had been God the Father working to deliver him. There had been that, those times when he was going to be uh, destroyed with the Pharisees or Sadducees or whoever and, and he just wasn't there anymore. And we would say that God the Father had been a part of all those things. So now Jesus began to understand the sense that this deliverance, they even said to him, well if you're the Son of God, why don't, you, why don't you bring yourself down? Matter of fact, a little later on here in Matthew, they would say, well, he's calling out to Elijah to save him. They didn't know he was calling out to God. They said he was calling out to Elijah to save him. Why? Because God should be delivering him, right? He should deliver him from what goes on. But he didn't deliver him for the sake of our sin. He didn't bring him off the cross because he was going to raise him from the dead. And that was going to make the difference. Number three, Jesus, since the Father had withdrawn his holiness, and now Jesus was bearing the curse of God. The Father had withdrawn his holiness, and Jesus was bearing the curse of God. The curse of separation, the curse of judgment, the condemnation of sin. All those things that we would have to deal with were it not for a Christ who died for us. 
In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, it says these words, Your eyes, God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Think about that for a moment. In Habakkuk, he tells us that God is so pure, that he's so holy, that he can't look upon evil. And Jesus took all of the evil of the world upon himself so that he could purchase our salvation. And here Habakkuk says, God, you can't even look at evil. The purity of that, God had withdrawn his holiness. And so now Jesus recognized that that holiness was not there because of the curse of separation, that he had to be separated from God, the curse of judgment that was going to come inside that, that was the the curse that, that was going to be a part of what he was doing in Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, we read these words about this curse. In Colossians chapter 2, we see in verse, actually starting in verse 14, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations and was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Now, what he had just said, all the obligations that we have in our sinfulness He says that Jesus has taken that and nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and has graced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. So sin, judgment, all the condemnation, all the curse of that has been overcome with Christ and what he has done. And then the fourth thing, Jesus sensed that the Father had withdrawn protection from sin and death. And this may be the most important thing that we understand because it's the resurrection that has given the overcoming of sin and death. We no longer have to have the penalty of sin and death in our life because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And he tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, now since the children of flesh and blood have in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, He might destroy the one holding the power of death. Man, that is good news, right? He tells us here that he has destroyed the one holding the power of sin and death and freed those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. He has overcome fear and death by how? How do you overcome it? By being abandoned by the Father, by dying on the cross, by being separated from God, by taking on our sin and all these things. Now, fortunately, we read that verse in Hebrews and we understand that, you know, Sunday is about the resurrection. Sunday is about the celebration of who Jesus is because we understand the rest of the story, right? We understand what it means to have salvation if indeed you have salvation. You, you understand what it means to have forgiveness of sin if you indeed have experienced that kind of forgiveness of sin. And we pray that you have. And if you haven't, we really want to talk to you about what it means to have salvation in Christ and Christ alone. Because that is the purpose of this saying. That is why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and the, the great response, if I could respond, far be it from that, but if we could spot, respond, it would say, because... He loves us so much. 
He died on the cross because God loved us so much that he sent his son that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Man, that's good news. That's what we've been proclaiming to our neighbors, to our friends, to our coworkers, to people who are lonely, to people who are hurting, to people who are asking the why question. Our only answer is Jesus. He's the only thing that we have. And so my question to you is, do you long for him? Jesus was on the cross and he was there and I I believe he was longing for the Father. Do you let him be your sin overcomer? Do you recognize that you can't do anything on your own to overcome your sin? Oh, we try, we do everything we can, but he is the one who overcomes. Do you have an assurance of salvation? Do you know that you are in him and you are persevering inside that, even though you're asking the why question, walking through the the difficult things of life, you know that your salvation is in him because of what Christ has done on the cross, because he has conquered sin and death for you. That's our prayer, that we would walk out of this building so assured of our salvation, at the same time so brokenhearted for those around us who don't have it. So brokenhearted for those neighborhoods you live in, the doors that you pass every day for people who live there and families who live there are struggling with the why questions and loneliness, but they don't know Jesus. And we drive by them. How do we proclaim to them the good news of the one who died for them too? Well, it is his amazing love. How do you sense his love today? I'm forgiven because he has been forsaken. His amazing love that makes impact into your life.